Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. On today's show, we begin with some political updates on what I think are the most important and interesting races and how they developed over the weekend and some very good signs for those of you rooting for a, a red wave. Don't get too cocky, but definitely things are moving in that direction, it appears, and I give you the evidence. Joe Biden had a tough weekend, and not just because of what's happening to his party, but he was caught lying again, and he was caught sniffing a young girl. Now, does that every weekend? Pretty much. Yeah, sure. But he was this weekend in particular. I'll give you some of the details on that as well. It is an evergreen statement, though. He does tend to lie and sniff young girls. He does do that. We spent a fair bit of time on Kanye West today, who has gone on yet another anti-Jewish diatribe. I assert that it is long past time that we raise our standards and stop making excuses for people who say horrible stuff just because we think overall they're in our tribe or we want them in our tribe and they got canceled by our enemies. Uh, we need to stop doing that. It's time to raise the bar, and I think it's a really big deal. This actually came up a lot on our live show, Sirius XM Patriot 125, for three hours every morning starting at 6 a.m. Eastern Time and on the SXM app uh, where some callers trying to make some excuses uh, for Kanye and act like his anti-Semitism isn't anti-Semitism. It's just not okay. We got we to gotta call it what it is. And uh, also in the opening of the show, we've moved a little bit closer to nuclear war. I still don't think we're going to get there, but people who are risk flicking that possibility is making me increasingly uncomfortable. I explain that as well. Plus a lot more in terms of headlines before we speak to John Binder, who is uh, one of the most fun people to talk to in the Breitbart universe. He covers fashion and immigration for us, as you know, but he also now covers crime because the crime beat has expanded so much that I need to add additional resources and John has stepped up and we get into why that's necessary for him to expand uh, his area of coverage at Breitbart uh, beyond just immigration to crime in general. And what that means, I think, for the country in general and what that could mean politically as we head in towards an election. All that on the broadcast today. Let's get into it. I went to a conference hosted by Turning Point USA in Orange County, California, which was pretty cool. Those of you who are familiar with Orange County, it's a nice part of California. It's got some Republicans there. It's got a lot of beaches, um, but you have to drive through downtown Los Angeles where there is a lot of gorgeous street art. Now, all of it is made by, of course, gang members. And, um, and by street art, of course, I mean graffiti and by gorgeous I mean filthy and uh, you do have to go through that process sitting in traffic going through the filthiness and the gang signs but then when you get there you get to this beach paradise and, and you wonder uh, how is this related to what's going on in uh, the major cities in the state and yet um, you realize that God did a great job those parts of the world and that's part of why we're fascinated with it is because God made them beautiful and then man is trying to ruin it. Hey, but you know what we need? We need a little more secularism. That would help. Um, the talk was mostly in the media. A lot of topics that are probably familiar to you guys Though I went a little deeper than I sometimes do on the show. We'll probably make it available at Breitbart. It was not streaming live, so I don't think we have anything up on it yet. But some of you uh, enjoy 
when I have a little more uh, structure sometimes and when I'm giving comments. So if we make that available, I'll announce it on the broadcast. I don't think there's anything in there that's totally shocking to this audience, but I did do a deeper dive on the establishment media and then what are the things that the media doesn't want you talking about from things like inflation to immigration, etc. And uh, it is um, uh, always good to kind of put your words down on paper. I think it's a good exercise. All of you should do that really in your personal lives, even if you're not someone who's tasked with giving public commentary, which uh, I am from time to time. It's still good. It focuses the mind, clarifies where you are on certain topics. Um, I think one thing that's been pretty clarifying, though, in the general public the red wave is definitely back on. And if you can't tell, if you try to follow politics over the weekend, it did not feel like there was a ton going on. It felt relatively sleepy. And it felt relatively sleepy because it's not an exciting time for the establishment media. It's not the ex an exciting time for the establishment um, uh, political classes because we're probably headed towards a pretty big win for Republicans. It'd be pretty stunning if we're not. And this is despite cheat by mail and tech manipulation. And one thing that I've been tracking at uh, Breitbart News with our, our brilliant social media team, which is just about the best in the business that has, in a way, kept Breitbart in business because we have such a genius social media team. We are able to surpass almost every establishment media outlet, even with the algorithms written specifically to slow down and shut down Breitbart. Now, Facebook, what they do, their tactic is when uh, political stuff is trending that's favoring the right, what they tend to do is they just turn down all the dials. So we're able to do so-so in that environment because they just shut down everyone at the same time. Um, Twitter, of course, shadow bans Breitbart. And then when there's a mega scoop, then they'll do, uh, they'll, they'll you know block things entirely. Um, and then Google, of course, is in, insanely hostile to Breitbart. They won't let Breitbart content show up in Google News. Um, they rarely let Breitbart content show up in search results. And if Breitbart is leading the way on a political topic, then they will for sure make sure we're out in search results. Uh, I documented a bit of this in Breaking the News. We've reported a lot on the show about how, for example, content on Joe Biden is almost impossible to find if it's Breitbart content through Google. And that is, of course, by design. And even though it's algorithms, the algorithms are written by peoples. And these peoples live in you know the Bay Area of California and they live in San Jose, they live in Palo Alto, and they live in parts of the world that uh, are insanely hostile to what we're trying to do and are uh, also uh, incredibly dishonest. And the culture is about dishonesty. So what do they allow to trend? They allow celebrity gossip and marginalia, you know, stuff like um, a cat rescued from tree and, you know, record money raised at lemonade stand and, um, you know, record levels of, you know, bicycle broken wheels, you know, it's fixed. They'll let that stuff trend and a lot of Kardashian, a lot of Pete Davidson and a lot of uh, uh, um, who's pregnant in the celebrity class. Paris Hilton talking about Kim Kardashian, Kim Kardashian, you know, talking about whatever Bravo TV star. They like a lot of that stuff. They like sports to trend. That's good. You know, more bread and circuses. Um, and of course, every just about every sports industry funds and enforces the woke Democrat orthodoxy at this point. A lot of cute animal content. A lot of cute animal content. Animal rescued from tree. Animal rescued from river. Animal rescued from 
tunnel, animal rescued from hole, animal rescued from whatever. All that stuff is big. Animal rescues human. All that stuff. We love God's creatures. I love them very much. I have some of God's creatures in my house right now. But uh, again, that's not really what you guys are focused on right now, is it? Uh, and then also a lot of stuff, whatever the Democrats can do to try to get some momentum. Lately, it's been the January the 6th clown show, which is, of course, Kabuki Theater. They're trying to get Trump to testify. He's not going to do it. He'll kick the can past the Congress. Congress will shut it down. But they'll let that stuff trend. People are very excited about that. Um, what won't trend? Lori Lightfoot's massive levels of killings in um, uh, Chicago every week, which we trend at Breitbart, which we cover Breitbart, never trend. That, that will never go online. Um, but it is inflation, immigration, even political stuff. It just does not get super hot. And this is by design. And the tech overlords are making this possible. So, but the fact is, is that they're not able to replace it aside from January the 6th Kabuki Theater. They're not really able to replace it with anything that favors the Brandon administration and the Democrats. That leads me to believe the red wave is on at the moment, even despite the cheap by mail, which will take place in at least half of the country. And um, the, the tech and media establishment trying to convince all of you guys that the real uh, thing that we're voting on in this election is not inflation, not immigration, not fentanyl, not China, not big tech. We're voting on Donald Trump. Not even a big Joey the Biden. He's on the ballot. It's really Donald Trump. That's what we're talking about here, January the 6th. Republicans are nearly doubling their lead in recent polls in, uh, in Rasmussen on generic congressional ballot, which means if you don't look at the candidate, then Republicans are surging since last week. I think as people get more focused on the election at the last minute, the late breakers, of course, are going to break away from the people who are presiding over the horrific economy that we're in. The people who are presiding over the woke culture that we're in. The people who are presiding over the trans nonsense that we're confronted with on a constant basis, which people are realizing more and more is a hoax. Um, Mrs. Dr. Marlowe and I took a big beach walk yesterday and at the uh, one point, the apex of the walk, I uh, had to use the restroom. I had to use a little broadcaster's room, if you will. So I went to the little broadcaster's room and I realized while I was there and I was amidst doing my business that I was in the wrong gender's room. I was in the ladies' room. And I realized there's someone else in the room other than me. It was an accident. There's only two people in there. And uh, I, I was in there first, but it dawned on me. This was a mistake. And I thought, what happens if I get found out here? It's going to be a big embarrassment for me. Is it going to be a big embarrassment for my family, for my children? Am I going to get arrested? And then I thought about it right in the spot. I'm trans now. Just for a moment, if anyone asks, I'm transitioning. I'm pre-op, but I'm transitioning. Like That's what it was going to be. And the fact that that is a totally legit excuse for most people now is uh, insane to much of the country. So all that's on the ballot. That's what's coming up. And that's where Republicans are seeing a big surge in the generic ballot. Barack Obama is campaigning in Georgia. This is uh, to boost Raphael Warnock and Stacey Abrams. Now, if there's going to be a blue wave on, uh, these seats would be done because uh, Abrams is one of the most popular of the Democrats, period, and she's getting her clock cleaned by 
um, Governor Kemp at this point, all the polls. And again, that's the one if you're in Georgia, even if you don't like Governor Kemp, this is very important to run the score up on that one. We need to uh, put an end to Stacey Abrams' political career. Move her off into uh, writing science fiction and romance novels and get her off the stage where she has the ability to, uh, I mean, she could be a real, real problem on national level. Uh, I think she's got some political gifts and I think her radicalism would really uh, pose problems for families if she was able to get a lot of power on a national level. And then uh, Obama's gonna head to Michigan, campaign for Governor Whitmer. So that's a big one. Obama doesn't like to live the, leave the house, houses. You know, he plays golf, he plays video games, makes podcasts, watches TV. He doesn't like to be bothered with this stuff. He'll do a little bit right before the election. But um, the Michigan debate took place, I think it was either Thursday or Friday. And uh, apparently Tudor Dixon did a great job. I saw some clips of it and uh, they seemed pretty good. I'd not watch it start to finish. She's the Republican candidate that's been in the show a couple of times um, and going up against um, Whitmer in Michigan and Whitmer was running away with it. For whatever reason, Michigan was one of the only places that was trending more Democrat of all the states in the country. And um, Dixon apparently did a great job and this has made it so that race is now potentially another upset for Republicans in the making. So Obama's gonna take time from his rigorous call of duty schedule to go up there. And I don't believe that's a great sign for Democrats, which is a good sign for all of you. Um, interesting also, Obama admitted that he wishes he did more to support the green revolution in Iran, which is striking because Obama tried to indulge the Iranian regime in many ways with his Iran nuclear deal, which Obama fetishists in Washington keep trying to revise, even though it's a terrible deal and everyone knew it at the time. I mentioned this many times on the broadcast, but it bears repeating, especially if any of you are new tuning in as we get close to the election, uh, that the signature accomplishment of Obama's second term in some ways was the Iran nuclear deal, which everyone in Washington knew was a bad idea. Even people who liked Obama, they just went along with it because Obama needed a win. And they knew that it was gonna empower the dishonest Iranian regime who was pursuing nuclear energy and weaponry and was not gonna be well-regulated, but it uh, allowed for Obama to claim a big piece of legislation, a crucial moment. So, and huge levels of protests have broken out for women's rights, et cetera, for freedom recently. And Obama was not a part of it all because he was one of the people who had been, you know, supportive of the, of the regime and empowering them. Um, and he was quiet about these protests back when he was president in 2009 because he wanted the ability to negotiate with the Holocaust denier Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, who was in charge of Iran at the time. Huge radical. I just want to note that because it just shows you Democrats' ideas are bad and then sometimes it takes, you know, 13 years for it to dawn on them. Um, I, I, ideas that are bad and are clearly bad, though, is when Joe Biden said over the weekend, the economy is strong as hell. 
strong as hell. And you know what he did after he said the economy is strong as hell? Immediately started eating ice cream. Immediately. Not a joke. Two spoons, two scoops, one cone. Dr. Jill there. Dr. Jill, she loves eat ice cream. Eat ice cream together. Dr. Jill comes in. She's a real doctor. She's got a doctor in education. Ed D, the best type of D. She likes ice cream too. I like a Rocky Road. She likes a mint chip. They don't go together, but sometimes you get it together because why? Two, two spoons. I love to share, learn to share. Back when I was in Iraq, serving on the front lines in Iraq. Um, so he said the economy strong as hell and then he literally dug into his ice cream. He went to Baskin Robbins because he's a real populist. He doesn't just get ice cream. He gets the inexpensive chain ice cream. He's not like Nancy Pelosi where, you know, she's going down to the Bristol Farms. She's getting the ice cream. It's like $9 a pint, but it's not really a pint. It's 14 ounces because they have shrinkflation. So the ice cream is getting too expensive. So they went from a full pint down two ounces. So then they then they can charge you eight ninety nine. Um, and then have to go even higher than that, make sure you're spending double digits on an ice cream pint. I have to tell you, when I was a little on my uh, little trip after I gave my big speech over the weekend, I did have a little gelato. It was fun. I enjoyed it. It was a treat. The average American is losing $34,000, and um, there's much else that they're losing on Biden's watch. Savings are collapsing. This is the lead story of the New York Post over the weekend. Uh, 401KO was their headline, meaning knockout. You can love your 401Ks. Okay, have the best 401Ks, as Donald Trump used to say. Now, I know a lot of you have probably been cringing watching your bank accounts and watching your savings accounts, watching stock market portfolios. And it keeps going down and down and down. And the average 401K plan is down $31,000. Very interesting because one of my New Year's resolutions for 2022 was to play the stock market more, play the crypto game more, all that stuff, which I do at a, you know, not non-existent level, but a minimal level. And uh, the goal was to do more, and I, I did not get around to it. And by not get around to it, meaning it was um, reading the tea leaves made it clear it was not the best use of time in money. $7 a gallon gas in California, according to Joe Biden, has always been the case. Good line, right? It's always been the case. Always been there. It's what it's always been like. It's funny. That is, he feels like he can get away with saying this stuff. Average price of a gallon of gas over the weekend was $6.26 in Los Angeles. And it's higher than even Hawaii, which sounds impossible. But that's the way it is. And the World Economic Forum crowd, they love it. They absolutely love the idea of us having unaffordable gasoline because it is a tax on the lower classes. And then they can uh, look for handouts to the world elite. That's the name of the game. There was a story over the weekend on how mealworms are on the menu in the Netherlands. Hundreds of schools have started campaign introducing 10 to 12 year olds. So we're talking fourth grade to sixth grade to mealworms and insects as sustainable meat substitutes. The goal here 
according to a report I'm reading, is behavioral changes through unprejudiced children. Don't be prejudiced against eating mealworms. It's interesting because it's so tricky to get children to eat from at least my vantage point, having some young kids. And they're so hot and cold on what they want to eat. And they like the junk food. And we're like, hey, you know what they could really enjoy? Some mealworms. That would be good. Inexpensive. Insustainable. Um, Biden is struggling. And that's, I guess, a good thing. But it makes it life more difficult than certain people like John Fetterwoman, who had a sad weekend, as always. Let's play cut nine here, Mr. Zach. Go ahead. Send me to Washington, D.C. To take on to make sure I push back against work to work. Yep, push back against work to work. Surreal race. Can't stop. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. Dr. Oz was, as I noted, one of the weaker, one of the weaker candidates I've ever seen representing a major party and is yet so clearly far and away the best candidate in that race. It's not even close. It is amazing because it's the biggest gap between two candidates perhaps in the entire race. I mean, the entire you know election cycle. Ian, Dr. Oz, one of the worst candidates. Isn't that wild? Um, I still would like to try to get him on the show between now and the election, see what happens. I got a feeling maybe I've made that point too many times about him being not a good candidate for him to want to come on. But I think that's why he should come on. He's going to milk out a few more votes. He's got a chance to win this thing, despite his shortcomings as a candidate, because he's going up against Mr. I'm going to go to Washington, D.C., fight work to work. Okie doke. Biden snuck up behind a girl, grabbed her shoulders, and told her, no serious guys until you're 30. And it was very uncomfortable, very creepy. He attempted to laugh it off. And it's also horrible advice. Uh, young ladies in the audience and fathers of young ladies do not wait until you're 30 for serious boyfriends. This is anti-science. The Democrats are all anti-science. Now, uh, Biden, he, he is, you could see the girl's face and she's very uncomfortable. Um, and he should be impeached for this. He should probably be arrested, to be honest with you. You should not touch little girls like this. But the, it, it's a, in a serious level, like it's terrible advice. At your biological clock, pregnancies get exponentially dangerous each year, more, each year after 35. So if you're telling people you can't have a serious boyfriend until you're 30, that is against biology. You're going against your biological clock. We need to stop this stuff. We're doing this insane stuff where we think that everything is more important than actual science. And ironically, the crowd that does not want to talk about science is the crowd that um, uh, keeps claiming they're the standard bearers for science. Your biological clock says that it is much more dangerous after 35 to get pregnant. After 40, it's insanely more dangerous and borderline impossible to do it. And so as Joe Biden say, no boyfriends until you're 30. Terrible, terrible advice. Um, and the fact that he feels like it's his place to give that advice just unsolicited. It just, just shows you the mindset. But when he's doing that, at least he's not cutting more checks to Ukraine. Uh, Vladimir Zelensky, 
who, by the way, I caught on the Food Network over the weekend. He was on a show called Beat Bobby Flay. Yeah, he was cooking up burgers and sweet potato fries. It's not true. He was not on that show. It was the only show he's not yet been on. Um, He thanked Biden for another $725 million security package. So, of course, we funded Ukraine in the war versus Russia more than um, Russia's funded their own military. Pretty cool, right? I want to get that gig. I'm going to keep applying for money for my projects. Um, It would be nice if Putin would leave and this thing would be over, but it's not going to. And so in the meantime, we'll just keep sending money we don't have to Ukraine. So I just want all of you to work a little harder today to make sure we raise those tax dollars for uh, Zelensky. So he can, you know, um, maybe he'll be on Spike TV, one of those, uh, you know, uh, uh, networks designed for just men. (laughs) Something. Um, The Russian army will be annihilated if Putin uses nukes, says EU's top diplomat. I just don't get why people are so excited to use this type of rhetoric. The trash talking of a guy with nuclear weapons seems not great to me. Bill Maher's show on Friday saw Neil deGrasse Tyson, who is a Harvard-trained astronomer, I think, and is known as a science communicator, a very persuasive speaker, uh, pretty goofy. He's crafted a very goofy public persona. He does things like he tweets things and then he kind of puts them in the bank and then tweets the exact same thing a few months later. So he his brilliance is captured over and over again. He's got a book out that's doing decently, I think. And uh, he's a very articulate individual. But he was talking about how the nukes that would happen if Ukraine versus Russia turned into global nuclear war aren't really that big of a deal because they're tactical nukes. They're just bigger versions of what conventional attacks would be. And they're, they don't have the same radiation problem as Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Oh, wow, that's that's be a big relief. So what you really have to worry about is... Um, being vaporized, but not with the nuclear fallout. Great. That sounds good. I've seen some people starting to play around with what nuclear war could look like and, you know, exactly how many lives would be lost, how many millions of lives in the United States. And um, it is not a joke. And yet we have all these people who have no military experience, have no idea what they're talking about, Announcing things won't be so bad if all of our families get incinerated with nuclear bombs because we mishandled the situation with Russia. Now, do I think we're there yet? I don't. But I think Putin is not um, uh, quite as dependable, quite as stable as he was. And if that's the case, we should probably be a little uh, circumspect here. And we're not. And I don't like the idea that we're heading towards the election and who knows what Biden's going to pull in the next few weeks. Stakes are very, very high. Now, do I think we would win a nuclear war? Yes, I do. But I have family who lives in big cities. So I'm not willing to. Uh, I would rather not have a war. I would rather not win no war than win a war. There you go. There's your quote of the day. I would rather not win no war than win a war.
And I don't know if that's consensus in Washington. I think now with the military industrial complex being what it is, I do think Washington in many ways would like to win a war than not win no war. Aha. All right. Um, Let's see, what else do we have to discuss today? A little more politics. Um, people are starting to get the picture that uh, Carrie Lake is one of the strongest candidates in the race currently. Uh, recall I mentioned this on last week's show. I played a lot of funny audio of her. I was playing it for some family members and they were cracking up. She has the left running scared, even according to establishment media news. She was supposed to have a debate with a lady named Katie Hobbs. She wouldn't, Katie Hobbs would not debate her because she's too radical or something. And Katie Hobbs was asked about this on CNN. Let's hear her explanation for this. Cut eight, go. They're not going to look at their ballot and well, say, she just came it, and Katie sat down. Hobbs didn't debate her opponent. She just came and sat down with me and, and answered my questions for, for a lot of minutes. Um, yeah. A lot of Democrats are questioning your decision. And they're saying, you know, it's the wrong decision. President Biden's former 2020 co-chair said, I would debate and I would want the people of Arizona to know what my platform is. If you think she's as dangerous as you're saying to democracy, is it your responsibility as a candidate who wants to run Arizona to show and explain who their alternative is? That is exactly what I'm doing right now. And there is a lot more ability uh, to have a conversation smart. with you without her interruptions and shouting uh, to do that. That's amazing. So not debating the other candidate. The main goal is to go on CNN, talk to Dana Bash in front of 11 people, most of whom are just passing to the airport and are not really paying attention. Great question. Uh, Dana Bash is definitely not a hardcore left winger. It just makes you realize what a fraud she was uh, during the Jeff Zucker years where she basically impersonated one. You can tell she's not. You can tell she's not a radical left winger if you pay close enough attention. And she's still impersonated to make money, which is almost more pathetic to me. The people who just go along with it, go along with the insanity that the establishment media and uh, what CNN has stood for for the last, you know, decade or so. Um, but that's a, a, a Dana Bash's line of questioning is exactly the way I framed it. This is a threat to democracy. If Democrats will not debate Republicans because they deem themselves too morally superior. Um. The uh, Bernie Sanders showed up on MSNBC and he said he doesn't accept that Democrat spending contributes to inflation. How cool is that? All the inflationary Democrat policies have nothing to do with inflation. Literally every single thing the Democrats are doing is contributing to inflation. Uh, I, I wrote about this uh, quite a bit. This ended up uh, shaping a lot of my speech. I was going through it that I gave over the weekend with uh, John Carney. And uh, just all of the inflationary ideas, and they're actually so numerous, I had to chop a lot of them. I couldn't even go through a laundry list. Every single thing that's been done during this administration has been inflationary. Even the stuff that hasn't passed yet, like the student loan forgiveness, all that's inflationary. All of that because it sends a signal that demand's going to go up. And that creates inflation, even if it doesn't come into law. And of course, when you have things like the Inflation Reduction Act, which the, the goal is allegedly to reduce inflation, but everyone admits there's no way it's going to reduce inflation for 10 years. We have an inflation problem now. And we're heading towards a even deeper recession, if not depression, perhaps. Economists now think that recession 2023 is more than likely. And it's spiking. So these are the people who have tried to protect the current regime by suggesting maybe we won't get a deeper recession than we're already ha having now. 
So what are people going to do about it? What is the Democrat administration? What is Joe Biden going to do about it? Who are they going to recruit? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know the answer. All right, some culture stuff and some woke stuff before we move on. Unfortunately, Kanye West has gone on another anti-Jewish rant. Uh, It's very irritating because I think as a culture figure, he's very compelling. And it's going to be hard to keep uh, commenting on him if he keeps unleashing, you know, anti-Semitic commentary. He went on a very popular podcast called The Drinks Champs, which is hosted by some rappers and some DJs where they all sit around the table. They speak raw and uncut, unfiltered. He's got a pretty good aesthetic. I've seen this before uh, a, a number of times, incredibly popular on the internet. And um, he just went on a huge rant against the Jewish people and how they own, um, the, the, the Jewish media owns black people and they make all the money off of the black artists. And the Jewish people, he says, have owned the black voice, whether it's through wearing Ralph Lauren shirts, signing on their record labels, having a Jewish manager, having a Jewish basketball team, whatever that means, doing a movie on a Jewish platform like Disney. Then he goes on to say he respects the Jewish people then trash talks them for a while. It's very interesting to me that there are a lot of people who are on the right who are Jewish or who purport to represent you know, Jewish people in Israel who don't acknowledge that this is all blatant anti-Semitism. And I say this as someone who's liked Kanye's music and likes a lot of the stuff he says and liked a lot of the stuff he said on Tucker's show recently, I guess it was a week and a half back, which kind of started this whole thing. Um, but this just he's got a blatant anti-Semitic streak, and I don't know why people are afraid to say that and that it's a, a major problem. And it does make you question a lot of his other ideas. But it's it, it, it very unhealthy to have this um, at the center of the culture right now. Of all of the races that are out there. Very small one, vulnerable. He's got one state the size of New Jersey in the Middle East. And now we're just talking about how they're, they're you know, controlling all the black people in America is upsetting. It's just not true. And he's very paranoid. And it's the same thing as racism, which is, which is sad because I don't want to be distracted when I'm consuming Kanye's cultural content. But uh, that's what it's going to be. And he's insisting on it, just lighting himself on fire. He's buddies with Elon Musk, the subsidy king, and he's back. Elon Musk has asked the Pentagon to pay for his Starlink internet, which is the internet that floats in the sky, uh, which he's been giving Ukraine for free, and now he wants uh, the the Pentagon to pay for it. I'm sure they will. So Musk can, um, you know, get the U.S. government, get you guys to pay for one of the things he's been doing. And uh, Elon Musk, as you might have recalled, said that China should colonize Taiwan, which also could potentially bring America into, uh, if China tries to call not Taiwan, we're gonna be in a bad spot because we're gonna have to choose as America if we want to defend Taiwan, which could mean hot war with China, or give Taiwan up and then it'll be the biggest victory China's had in their 100 year marathon, which has been going on for you know 60 odd years. It'll be the biggest moment, bigger than them taking back Hong Kong. So Musk says that China should colonize Taiwan because he loves China. 
as Peter Schwartz has documented in his book, Red Handed, and we've talked about on the show over and over, and uh, China gave a huge tax break to Tesla as a reward. Very nice and very, very convenient. John Binder was well-timed because Kanye West is sort of the star of the moment in the news cycle, and he is a fashionista, and John Binder covers fashion for us. But then we were able to pivot into crime and immigration and cover a fair bit of ground that I think is essential to this audience and a lot of fun as well. So John's a great reporter and a good radio guest as well, as you will hear right now. I will start because I cannot resist with the one fashion question, John. I've got one for this week. I was thinking about this because uh, we all have Kanye fever. He's kind of the biggest cultural figure, probably, period, anyway. And then when you simultaneously buck the establishment by going on Tucker Carlson's show and saying, I think, some pretty interesting things about uh, the culture, and then you just light yourself on fire by the, unleashing a bunch of diatribes against Jewish people, uh, then people are going to talk about you. So we've been talking about Kanye a bit today. And I was struck by something, that he's maybe the biggest person in the culture. Uh, he claims to be the richest black person who's ever lived. Um, he is somebody who makes a lot of music and has a lot of important friends and uh, is... Uh, and makes fashion, he makes clothing and shoes, et cetera, and he claims of, you know, billion-dollar fashion brand, whatever it is, uh, he dresses terribly. Well, why does he do this? And is this something that happens a lot where people who are fashion icons also dress terribly? Hmm, this is an interesting point. I haven't thought much about Kanye's clothes, um, and I guess that kind of speaks to the look of a fashion designer. I think a lot of fashion designers opt for black wearing all black um kanye seems to have kanye kind of looks now like that old man in the home alone movies with the shovel <laughs> he kind of dresses like that um <laughs> but i hadn't really thought about it to be honest um yeah, he's one of the worst dressed people in the world and he is and i don't and i don't say this I'm sure this is intentional, like he just that he dresses terribly and because he's I don't know why he does, but I'm sure it's on it's on purpose. Um, and he just like wearing it's a fashion icon. He wears these like cropped Adidas hoodies that don't look good on anyone. And he just wear and he wears like rain boots out to, you know, the fancy dinner in New York. And it, I'm sure it's a statement that is way too clever for me to understand. I don't doubt that there's some science to it. There's certainly some art to it, but I just thought it was interesting that he's a big fashion brand, just just doesn't dress well. And I, I guess I've seen enough um, runway shows where the designer will come out at the end and they'll be really out of shape and in a t-shirt that's too tight that's not that good looking. And like I, I've seen that before. I just don't know if there's a pathology to it. I think that it's less intellectual than people think. Um, I think designers tend to kind of have a uniform and Kanye seems to be yeah. kind of um, trying to LARP that a little bit, mm. <laughs> even though he was a rapper long before. So we know that right, right, right. Uh, we know how he used to dress. So it's like almost, you know, he's trying to put on a bit of a shtick. Um, but I don't think that it's as, as, is as deep as people think that it is. Yeah. 
Who uh, is, can you think of any people who are in the fashion world who dress well or badly? Is there anyone that comes to mind? As I'm, I'm sure the wheels are turning at this point because it's, um, it, it just seems to be, I mean, there's of course a, when you, when you try to make a statement with your fashion, then you open up the whole spectrum. It's the, uh, and, and, you know, I've got one friend who's into fashion, not to the level you are, John, but also in media and covers fashion on his uh, publication and he doesn't dress well. He dresses, you know, basically like a, you know, where's golf clothing and athleisure and just, <laughs> and, and, but knows fashion better than I do, but just doesn't try to make a fashion statement ever. I just find it interesting. Like when you decide, okay, I'm going to make a statement, but, and then when you do that, you run the risk of looking terrible also. Yeah. You, I would say that, um, I think Victoria Beckham dresses incredibly well. I mean, and she's sort of a throwback. It's like, um, she's, she went from being posh spice to now, like all she does is design for her own label. And she's not trying, I think like Kanye trying to LARP as a designer by dressing badly all of a sudden, you know, I mean, she was beautiful clothes that she makes and she's a beautiful woman. I mean, it's, it's sort of a throwback. There were beautiful people once, once upon a time. <laughs> Yeah, she was also my favorite Spice Girl, in case any of you care. And you know why? Not because of her singing prowess. Not though, though it's not why. Um, the the though though I, I have to wonder about her uh, goofy son who pops up in the tabloids, who just always has this face like he's thinking about something stupid. It's the uh, I won't say which one because it would be too mean. But you know you know you know those people have that resting face where they they maybe they're thinking about astrophysics, but they look like they're thinking about something stupid. Um, and, and that is, uh, I, I will say it's Brooklyn. It's Brooklyn. He's the one who looks like he's thinking about something stupid all the time. Um, let me ask you though, uh, this is a, uh, I know we're going down a rabbit hole, but this is important. This is an important rabbit hole because it's a, the culture matters. Um, it's a, do you have John a take right now on, uh, the, um, on, on the, the fact that we are in this moment culturally where uh, it, it feels as though we've got half of society, maybe not even half, maybe a small portion of society who is trying to really up their game and to be more meticulous in terms of attention to detail, in terms of fitness, in terms of image, in terms of how they put themselves together. And like 90% of the country running the opposite direction where it feels like we just want to exist as an avatar. We want to be in the metaverse. We're just going to put on our um, uh, Oculus headset and then we're just going to be a digital people and we're not going to, is there going to be fashion in the metaverse? Oh God. I, I uh, truthfully have never thought once about the metaverse this just seems so ridiculous but i will say when the pendulum swings very far it tends to swing back and i think that we've seen that i mean particularly like as millennials i feel like we've seen that like when i was in college suddenly um you know when music turned digital um me and everyone i knew had vinyl record players and we still do to this day. I mean, no one could have ever envisioned um, the return of vinyls and vinyl record players. I feel like I'm constantly citing that because that, that was such a, that is such a cultural moment that the minute music went entirely digital, there were no CDs and there were no tapes anymore. Um, there were no DVDs. And it's just, it's like the pendulum swung 
so far back that we went back to like the 50s and 40s, you know, with with music. Um, suddenly people want the physical copy of something. Um, and I, I see that happening with a lot of these things. People think the end of magazines, the end of, of publications, the end of books. I don't see any of that happening. People are obsessed with books now. You walk into people's homes and they have these giant book collections. They have these giant magazine collections that they collect. Um, people like the physicality of something and nothing with the metaverse is ever going to get rid of that. Yeah, you're right about this. I had a, a little getaway weekend uh, this weekend because I had a speech on Friday night and I brought uh, Mrs. Dr. Marlowe with me. And then uh, we um, oh, we hung out with uh, our mutual friend HRH for a little bit, which is who we should have on the show, by the way, producer Greg. She was uh, very sharp when we hung out. And um, the and it was interesting because we were having a nice day and I had a Saturday it was low key for me, which I don't have a lot of low key days the, this you know election season with all my young children running around. And um, we were relaxing. And then there was a at the hotel we were staying at, there was a 13 year old's birthday party. And there was a point where we were in the hot tub and in six, 13 or 14 year old girls, whatever it was, got in the hot tub, John, all six of them were on their phones in the hot tub, six out of six on their phone. And I thought it was quaint. And obviously, that's not how I'm wired. Um, to do that. And I thought this is bad sign. And I was judging in a negative way, but I wasn't totally upset about it because I pay attention. I know this is where the world is going and I wasn't going to let it ruin my day. But then when one of them started lip syncing a Taylor Swift song that was sped up, so it sounded like the chipmunk voice um, while in the hot tub, I had to get out and just say, okay, we're done. This, this is not real. This is not real life. And I did make me think of, um, I've got a couple of book project ideas in my mind uh, about what I, I want to do for a, another book. And I think I'm getting close to wanting to, you know, set sail on one of them. And I was thinking about how, even though only so many people read books and there's millions and millions of people online and even a big book, you're going to get, you know, maybe a few hundred thousand people will read it if it's a really big one. And it's, I still though, the fact is the book will be here and you can hand it to your kids and you can hand it to your grandkids and whatever Taylor Swift thing you lip synced when you were 13 uh, there's no chance that that's going to matter to you in two days. Like in two days, oh, it's going to be so expendable. And maybe there will be a blowback. Maybe that could be a good thing. Yeah. And not only that, but your book in 20 years will not be cringe. You singing, lip singing Taylor Swift mm. with your friends will be very, very cringe in about two years. So yeah, all of these about things. Two minutes. It's a, yeah, it's a cycle, you know, it's things you look back on and you're like, wow, that was really cringy. And you, you go the opposite direction of that. And suddenly people are off their phones and out doing things. They're trying yeah. not to be their 13 year old selves. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I just, uh, the, it's, I think I blocked it out. I probably should have come in the show mentioning this as the, the outset's probably bigger than any of the actual, like, like we're almost in nuclear war, but it's a, what, what is really more likely to eat us alive? Is it really nuclear war? Or is it really that uh, people growing up and just, they're just so tethered to their phone. They're not going to real experiences and they don't even aspire to real experiences. Um, let's get, let's get into some stuff. that's very real. Uh, one thing I want to note, I mentioned this at the opening of the segment, John, is that you've been expanding your beats beyond the aforementioned fashion and immigration 
to crime. Uh, why are you covering more crime? Why do you think it's so important for you to enhance Breitbart's crime coverage? You've kind of taken this on yourself and I've encouraged it, but why do you think it's so important that we do more on this? Well, I feel like I've had to. I mean, crime is sort of just so happened to like fallen in my lap because there's such a crime wave. I mean, um, and oftentimes it's mixed up with immigration. I mean, it is, you know, there are a number of crimes I feel like, particularly recently, a number of Americans that I've written about and families that I've written about um, where, you know, their kids or daughter or, you know, um, father have been killed by illegal aliens, oftentimes police officers killed by illegal aliens. Um, but there is, there really is a crime wave happening across the country that's not, it's not just concentrated, you know, in the cities anymore. It's spilling over into the suburbs. Um, and so much of the selection is about who will do something about crime. Are Republicans promising to do something about crime? Are they talking about crime enough? Um, I think with the midterms, it feels like Republicans have just in this past week or so really hit their stride on the crime issue because they were sure. going on and on and on about expensive things and housing costs and inflation and all of those things are affecting people. Yeah. But crime really affects you and really affects families in multiple ways. It affects your neighborhood. It affects You know, if you own a home, your property value, it affects your schools in the area. People move to areas because of the schools. And when you have, when all of a sudden your neighborhood is overrun by crime, um, it changes a lot. You know, one thing that is noteworthy here is that I was watching um, just a smash and grab looting in New York, which is just this group of thugs with sledgehammers just coming in covered in masks, COVID masks, by the way, because, you know, they, you don't want to get a SARS-CoV-2, John, during your your, your looting spree. Um, they were smashing the and grabbing a bunch of jewelry. I'm sure it was hundreds of thousands, if not more. And it just does make you think it's so horrifying and it makes you not want to go to these stores. It devastates businesses. Some of these businesses are small businesses, even the, you know, high end jewelry. A lot of this stuff that you know, they get them from dealers. It's not like the people who are run the store own the jewelry. It's not like they're worth millions and millions of dollars sometimes. I mean, a lot of it's financed. It's complicated stuff. And it does penalize the taxpayer, penalize law abiding. And this is when you're soft on crime, then it is, uh, uh, it is um, there's an expression that if you're kind to the cruel, then you're cruel to the kind. And, and, and mm. that's, and that's kind of what's happening in our cities. And I noticed this, I've spent more time in LA recently visiting family, et cetera. And it's very filthy and crime ridden. And that's what's very striking to me is it penalizes the taxpayers. It penalizes the people who want to have a nice life with their families. And so by being kind, so to speak, to people who don't uh, uh, participate productively in society, which is their goal is to go soft on crime, go soft on homelessness, et cetera. It, mm-hmm. it, you're, you go harder on the people who are trying their best to be a part of you know, normal society. Yes, and very lenient on folks that are trying to ruin it for everyone else. And I will say, you know, when we talk about, especially with elections, um, there's, I remember in the past, there was so much emphasis on, um, you know, when a person owns a gun, um, their chances of voting Republican, like, shoot up, you know, I don't know what it was, it was 
60% or 70% or something gun owners um, in the United States. When someone becomes, it should also be that when someone becomes the victim of a crime or a violent crime, um, that their odds of then voting differently in the future and, you know, for Republicans shoot up 60, 70%. That really should be the case. Republicans really should be talking about crime way more. Um, it, it, it really is like the underwritten issue of this election. Yeah, exactly right. And I, I think, in, and that's only in some circles. I think in a lot of circles, people get it. I think a lot of circles, I think people understand that the South on Crime candidates are the worst candidates. And just because CNN, MSNBC want to talk about January the 6th, it doesn't, it doesn't make it that the rest of the of the country doesn't want to talk about crime and inflation and immigration. Um, and I want to talk about immigration. You note that immigration is connected with crime. Uh, according to data, 73% of migrants that have been bossed in New York City are in homeless shelters now. Uh, it, it's the, So this is an interesting point because I'm sure Eric Adams, who dresses incredibly well, um, is... Uh, a very, you know, if you're talking fashion a little bit, uh, he's he probably thinks that, that this is, you know, um, Governor Abbott's fault. But I think it just shows you the whole system is broken, that we're importing people who have no idea what to do when they get here. So they get into this country. They have no plan. They just want to start uh, figuring out ways to put down roots and to start taking advantage of our system. And they don't really have anything to offer society. And yet we welcome them in with our open borders. Right. You're no you're exactly right. And I would say that the the system isn't broken. It's working exactly as the Biden administration designed it, which is yeah. transforming the US Mexico border into a mere checkpoint where people are, you know, briefly detained before they are released and bussed or flown into American communities. And New York City just so happens to be a place that, as you mentioned, Abbott is sending folks and they're having to deal with what American border towns deal with on a daily basis uh, with about a sixth of their city budget um, to deal with it. And, you know, what is the result of this? Adam's saying that there's going to be, you know, they're going to, the city is going to be running out of funds for all of its programs for New Yorkers, you know, skyrocketing housing costs and they're, they're trying to figure out the housing situation for migrants. And it really speaks to what has happened with illegal immigration over the last few years. Whereas the argument for liberals used to be that illegal aliens arriving at the border had family in the United States. They had connections to the United States. Um, you know, they were interested in jobs and they were, you know, trying to build a middle class life for themselves. And we just let them be. Um, that is so not the case with illegal immigration right now at this moment. Uh, we are quite literally bringing in the world's poor that have zero family in the United States, zero ties to the United States, zero connections. Um, and we're seeing that. The folks showing up in New York City, being bused to New York City from, from Texas, get off the buses. They have no family here. Um, they do not speak English. They are in homeless shelters. They have no means to provide for themselves. Um, what what other country on the map, uh, you know, brings in folks that literally say we cannot provide for ourselves? Like we're coming here, and you will have to provide for us. It's typically not the immigration system that that countries want, but we're doing it. 
Yeah, we are doing it, and it's the we're the you know one of the worst in the world. Is there is there a country in the world that is as bad as the U.S. when it comes to an immigration policy? I mean, we know that Europe is behaving very similarly, but they have um, you know they don't have the the pipeline that we have in America from Central America up through Mexico, which basically encourages the illegal immigration up into our country. So there's. You know, it's a little bit different, but it's the, is there any country that does as badly with immigration that we know of? Not on a consistent basis the way we are, yeah. um, but I would say that when Germany opened its borders amid the refugee crisis sure. um, back in, True. you know, 2014, 2015, that proved very quickly to be as disastrous as what we're seeing here uh, now, where we, we literally encourage the world's poor to make a deadly journey to the U.S. Um, and it's like the Hunger Games. You know, it's like who can get here without without dying? Um, yeah, you know, right. I mean, it's, it's horrific. Um, let's talk about these U visas. Illegal aliens have been flown to Martha's Vineyard are eligible for these U visas. You wrote about this for us over the weekend. Uh, what does this mean? These are supposed to be for crime victims, right? But not people who just showed up because they want to uh, make some more money? Yes, that's right. Um, the U visa category is a very small visa, relatively small visa category for our immigration system, but it's also filled with fraud and abuse, as you can imagine, because um, the federal government has found this over numerous inspector general reports through the years that oftentimes, you know, people that are in the U.S. illegally will fake to be crime victims so that they can get um, U visas. And they'll set up these whole charades of being robbed or beaten up or attacked. Um, and it ends up all being fraudulent. And they were just trying to get a U visa to eventually get a green card to stay permanently in the United States. Um, and what's happening here is that the 50 illegal aliens that DeSantis uh, flew to Martha's Vineyard that were quickly deported to Joint Base Cape Cod um, are going to be uh, eligible for U visas. I'm not sure what under, um, you know, under what context because uh, no crime has been committed or prosecuted. Um, no one has been convicted in a crime in this case. Uh, and it's sort of emblematic of the Biden administration that they are just automatically treating folks who are getting on flights and buses that they're not operating, but that Republican governors is operating. They're just treating that as you're a victim of a crime uh, because you got on a plane and went to one of the most beautiful parts of our country. You know, one other story that I want to mention in the opening that I've not gotten to yet is illegal aliens released in the United States by Biden's Department of Homeland Security have been linked to a robbery gang in New York, which is a sanctuary state. Give us the details here. Um, what's happening here is um, these South American gangs, primarily folks coming from Colombia, um, are kind of setting themselves up in the suburbs of major cities um, and in major cities, and in this case, in Long Island, outside of New York City. Um, and there was a number of illegal aliens that were arrested in the South American gang, and uh, they're literally like a home burglary gang. Uh, they they hit like 20 to 30 homes over a very short period of time, and a number of them just end up going back to Colombia. 
um, with you know all of your stuff. And uh, in this case, the number the illegal aliens that were arrested um, of having been involved with these home burglaries with the South American gang were arrived at the border over the last year. Um, and the Biden administration had literally released them into the U.S. interior. And they end up in Long Island, end up robbing 20 to 30, you know, uh, people in particularly um, in like the Indian American neighborhoods. They they tend to target um, very specific sort of ethnic groups. In the D.C. area, they were targeting, still targeting, very wealthy Asian neighborhoods. Um, same thing, South American gang, they're coming in on B-2 tourist visas for the sole purpose of robbing you. Um, it's happening in California as well. Uh, lots of folks coming in on B-2 tourist visas, coming illegally um, from Chile and for the sole purpose of home burglary. Wow. Wow. That's so frightening. And I'm sure it's um, it'll be interesting to see if uh, the local news in some of these areas that are uh, obviously going to attract this type of crime. I wonder if they'll be able to report it all out. John, last one for today. The three illegal aliens who were charged with murdering a 28-year-old man in Texas that you reported on yesterday for us. One of them I was struck by his mugshot. We were smiling. He's charged with murder, and he looks uh, totally giddy about it. Do you catch that? It's really horrifying stuff. It, it is horrifying. And this is this case is only the this latest one, like I mentioned. This is murder. Been, this is not just like right. crossing the border legally or, you know, I mean, this is just horrifying. It, it is horrifying. And there's been, this is the latest one. Um, they These four, four illegal aliens, one of them has since fled to Mexico, so they've only been able to arrest three. Um, that were allegedly involved in this 28-year-old man's murder in El Paso, um, all of which suspects, um, all of which were linked to um, human trafficking, you know, human smuggling for the Mexican drug cartels on the U.S. side of the border. Um, so probably deep ties there. Um, but it, this really is just the latest case. There have been so many murders recently of Americans um, at the hands of illegal aliens. That is a very frightening thing, and it's just the synergy of all this stuff. I've just sent some footage of uh, a uh, the, the Minneapolis on um, uh, Saturday night, apparently, where this huge crowd in the streets, which they're apparently harassing a horse and twerking on cars, and just such lawlessness is going on, and we're just doing so much to, to encourage it. We're just encouraging it in so many of our cities, and it can be rejected. We can choose to stop this, but I just don't know if people are going to be bold enough to stand up, start saying stuff about these things. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. John Binder reports on fashion. Immigration Richard Breitbart News does an amazing job, as you know. Then we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Thanks, Alex. Best 
today's broadcast. Thank you very much to producers Zach Jones and Greg Eben. Robert Marlowe helps me pick topics. And all of you who've gone to mysonhunter.com, got the new DVD. We got the DVDs out of My Son Hunter, which is so cool. And going to Breitbart.com, sharing our content, getting involved. The big deal. Very exciting time in the news. And we just can't get to everything on the show. So Breitbart.com to supplement everything that you hear on the broadcast. Thanks for listening. Talk to you tomorrow. Oh,